Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Now here's this week's podcast. Merry Christmas. Welcome all the campuses. Come on, welcome them. Woohoo! We love you folks over in Garner and Sanford and North Raleigh and Hillsboro and Columbia and Internet Campus and Kenya Campus and North Carolina Correctional Institute, Coffee House, Durham Campus, all of you. We are so glad you are here. Let's just get right into it today. Show of hands, show of hands. How many of you are going home for Christmas? I mean, you're going home like you're going back. You're an extended family. You're going back home with your, your, your peeps for Christmas. Come on. All right, all right, everybody at campuses, raise your hand. All right, how many of you, how many of you have extended family coming to your house for Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which one's better? I'm not even sure I know, but I do know about a story that I think you'll enjoy. There was just a family, they were having their extended family come in for Christmas, right? So they were coming in. And this, this mom, she was one of those, you, you ever meet any of those moms? They just, they really need a, a prescription of volume. They're just always freaking out. You know what I'm saying? This was one of those moms. So she was nervous and freaking out most of the times during the year. But this particular Christmas, she was in total meltdown mode. Family was coming in. She had some in-laws. She had one of those uncles, you know what I mean? She had the in-laws, and, and they were coming in, and they were, they were picky. They, they, everything had to be just right for her family. So she was just stressing out. Was everything in good shape? Furniture right? Was the food going to be right? Did she have everybody covered with the cards and the Christmases and the dessert and all of that kind of stuff? And so finally they arrived, and by the time they arrived, it was total meltdown mode for the mother. And so they gathered at the table, and she was, you know, is the turkey done? Is, is the food going to be good? Are they going to complain like they did last year? Is the uncle going to get too drunk again? All that kind of stuff, right? And so finally got, they got ready to eat, and she, she knew. She, she did have enough spiritual maturity to her to know she was in no condition to pray. You know when you just, you, you can't pray. You just, need to, you just need to keep your pie hole shut. Don't pray. So she's at the table, and she said to her son, she goes, son, would you please pray for us? And he goes, Mom, I don't want to pray. No, Mom, I don't want to pray. She goes, Billy, please pray. He goes, Mom, I don't know what to pray. She didn't know what to say. She was in meltdown mode, like I said. She says, Billy, just pray what you hear your mama pray. So Billy was like, yes, ma'am, let us pray. Dear Lord. Why do these crazy people come to our house every December? Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. It doesn't matter if you're going away or if you're staying put and others are coming here. Listen, I hope you have a glorious Christmas. It, it really can be the most sacred time of the year, the most wonderful time of the year. And I know it can be stressful, too, but I just want you to know I'm praying for you. If you're in town, Friday services, Saturday services, you don't want to miss it. We're going to have an amazing Christmas celebration, and I am hoping and praying, whether you are here or not, that you just really humble yourself before the Christ child and really experience the true meaning, the true reason, if you will, for the season. It's, it's Jesus. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke 15, Luke chapter 15. We've been in this series titled Home for Christmas, and we picked that, that title on purpose. And um, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 15, because the reality is each and every week we've been studying this very famous parable, but if I might say so myself, hopefully we've been talking about it in a very different light. I'm hoping and praying you've been walking away each and every Sunday just kind of... Um, 
inspired by the, 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 the popularity of this passage, but also maybe understanding it in a very new kind of way. For example, two weeks ago, I preached a message called Prodigal God, to which you're like, what? I thought it was a prodigal son, Pastor. What do you mean prodigal God? And I talked to you that week about how if you really go look up the word prodigal, which you can do right now on your phone, go to Webster, look it up, prodigal. While you're on your phone, go ahead and get your Bible app out, if you will, the New Hope app. And you can follow along with me if you don't want to follow in the teaching notes. But the word prodigal means generous or benevolent spendthrift. Excessive spending of generosity and the point I made that day was when you look at the story of the prodigal son the truth is God was the most excessive one in the entire parable he was excessive in his grace and his love and his mercy that he poured out upon the younger son who went into the far country then last week, you don't hear many sermons on the older brother, right? Last Sunday, Pastor Joe Robido, our Connections pastor, I thought taught one of the most phenomenal messages I've ever heard on the older brother. It was, it was awesome. And if you missed it, go to the Resource Center and get it today. Today, I want to talk to you about the passage from an entirely different angle. I want to talk to you about the way in which Luke 15, if we will let it, will give us a renewed vision for what it means to be family. What it means to sit down at the table of God and be the people of God in the family of God, in the house of God, hearing the word of God. Can I hear an amen? So, so even before I jump into reading the text, I just want to remind you of something. And, and I think sometimes we forget this. When we gather here on Sundays, we are gathering and stepping into a story that is found in this book known as the Bible. We don't gather here on Sunday to listen to a man. Which is why I love that prayer Sharice just prayed. Did you catch what she prayed? We don't gather to listen to a man. We don't even gather for mass karaoke. Which maybe you've never envisioned church that way, right? <laughs> this is not mass karaoke. We're not here to listen to a man. We are here as the people of God to step into a story. And this is so good after we just finished that 32-week series called The Story. We're stepping into a story that is to define us as the people of God. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells one parable. Okay, some of you are like, whoa, there's three parables. Follow me here for a moment. I believe when you really study the passage, it's actually just one long parable with three parts. Three parts to the parable. There is the shepherd with how many sheep? Where would all, all my people go? Where would all the Christians go? It wasn't a trick question. How many, how many sheep? I, oh, yeah, there you are. You're back. Okay. 100 sheep. Then there is the woman with how many coins? 10 coins. And then there is the, the father with how many sons? It's one long parable with three parts. Now, I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke 15. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3 together. And we're going to go get this today. Ready? Go. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Who gathered around Jesus that day? Tax collectors and Dr. Luke, the one who writes the, the gospel with the most detail. Literally, he was a physician. He writes with greater detail than Matthew, Mark, or John. Dr. Luke is giving us some very helpful information. Tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. If you're not really sure what Jesus is trying to say, Jesus is trying to say tax collectors were on the bottom of the rung, if you will. The, 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 the quote-unquote bad people were gathering around Jesus, and they muttered. Now, muttered is not a word that we use often, right? What, what, what does muttered mean? Here's how you know. If you don't get your little children what they want for Christmas, they'll be muttering up in your house. Don't put up with it. Put an end to it right away, right? Say, oh, you want some extra chores? Come here, honey. They, they muttered. And the thing I want you to, to really just pay close attention to is the people that were actually gathering around Jesus. It wasn't the good people. It wasn't the religious people. And did you notice that the teachers of the law muttered this? This man does what? Welcomes sinners and eats with them. Luke is making a very clear point. I don't have time to unpack for you the intimacy and the warmth of the word that he welcomed them and he ate with them. He welcomed them and he broke bread with them. Not only were these the bad people in the society, the ones that the religious leaders and the pastors did not want to be around, not only were they gathering around Jesus, not only were they attracted to Jesus, but Jesus, can you believe it? welcomed them and broke bread with them do you feel it now look at this last part then jesus told what jesus told who a parable jesus told them now pastor joe i don't know if you've realized this before i've been following christ 28 years of my life I had never noticed the emphasis upon the word them until this week. The religious leaders, the priests, the pastors, the teachers of the law had a problem with Jesus welcoming sinners and eating with them. They had a problem with him because the people that they thought might come and listen to them teach, remember they're teaching in the synagogue, teachers of the law, the people they thought might clean up their act and come listen to them teach were actually going and listening to who? And that bothered them. That bothered them greatly. Last week we talked about the older brother. So if you just put it all together, by the time we get to the end of Luke 15 and we talk about the older brother, the truth is the people who are complaining, the people who are muttering are just like the older brother. They are laced with judgmentalism. They are laced with religiosity and they have a problem with Jesus so Jesus told who you might want to underline that in your Bible Jesus told them a parable now don't go don't go getting over what I'm not saying that it doesn't apply to us the parable has been used by God for 2,000 years now but in the original context Jesus told them a parable that had three parts the first part Shepherd, 100 sheep, 
lost one sheep. Question, if you had 100 sheep and you lost one sheep, what would you do? Now, don't go acting all hyper-spiritual. Oh, I'd leave the 99 and go find that one. Bless you, 99. I'm going to find the one. Come on! Would you? Can I be honest with you? I wouldn't. Come on. 99's real close to 100. You know what I'm saying? If I got $90, $99 and you got $100, I'm not sweating you. I'm not, am I talking to you, brother? I'm not sweating. I got 99. I'll pick up another buck somewhere. 99. One sheep wanders off. And the, the parable that came across the lips of Jesus was that the shepherd left the one sheep, which might I add is a dumb sheep. Why do you want to go leaving the 99? Dumb thing wandered off, right? And the shepherd did something that was economically unwise. He left 99 to go find one. And then, did you catch it in the prayer? When he finds it, what's he do? Homeboy comes back home, gets on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all. I mean, how many more social media platforms can we handle today? Gets on all those, gets the word out. Hey, we're going to have a party. And they come over and they party and they celebrate over one dumb sheep. And then Jesus goes, part two, there's a woman. Woman got how many coins? Not, not a test question. Ten coins. Ten silver coins. You might not need to know this, but I will go and tell you that in that day and age, one silver coin represented about one day's worth of labor. She loses one. She's got nine now. Now, I don't know about you. Ladies, come on. Ladies, some, some ladies like you got to have everything in order, right? But I'm just saying, if I had ten coins and I lost one and I lost it in the house, I, I mean, I lost, it, I lost it in the house. I don't know about you. I'd be like, I'll find it later. It's, it's where? It's in the house. Don't freak out, right? It's, it's in the house. And I try to tell my young kids this now because we lose stuff. And I don't know if you realize, I realize this, man, every passing year. I, I, don't, I don't even get upset anymore when I lose stuff. I, I, are you just, are you, I don't even get upset. You know why? Because I know it's going to show up. I mean, eventually I'm going to find that thing. So if I lost the coin, I'd be like, it's in the house. We'll find it later. Jesus says that the woman freaks out, starts turning furniture over. If you really, if you're studying the original language, I mean, the woman does an all-out search. She's turning couches over. She's, she's, she's flipping up rugs. She's getting up under the dining room table. Where's the coin? And then when she finds the coin, she gets on the phone. She calls all her buddies, all her lady friends. Hey, come on. I found my coin. We're going to have a party. Then she throws a party that I am sure costed her as much as the nine coins that she already had. Come on, man. It's, it's inconceivable. It's reckless. It's scandalous love to find that which is lost. And then Jesus, he gets to the, the Mac Daddy, I mean the climax of the story, right? And he goes, and, and, and there's this father. He's got two sons. Now, traditionally we've called it the prodigal son, all right? We've got the, the younger son and the older son. You can call it what you want. Here's what I call it. It's the parable of the smart boy and the dumb boy. 
Economically, that's how it breaks down. The smart boy, the good boy, he stays home. He does what his daddy wants him to do. He, he's got the inheritance buttoned down, baby. He knows one day dad is going to kick the bucket and I am going to be all right. And the dumb boy, the young boy, sorry if you're a young person. I'm the youngest of three. I'm with you. We're not always the smartest. The dumb boy says, hey, dad, I got an idea. Go ahead and give me my inheritance now so that I can go out and live the wildlife. And a miracle in and of itself is that the dad says, all right. And the daddy gives it to him. And he takes off into the foreign land. I don't know. He goes to Amsterdam. <laughs> Vegas. I don't know. He goes to the wild land. Blows it all. Wasted on wild living. And spends all of his daddy's inheritance. Hits rock bottom. Before he knows it, he is living in a pigsty eating the very pea pods that the pigs ate until he finally said, I can go home, and if Daddy will just let me be like one of his hired men, I'll be better off than I am here. And so he gets up. He turns his attention to the home place. And the Bible says that the old man saw him coming. It, clearly implies that he's been looking and waiting for his boy to come home every day. Will this be the day? Some of you got prodigal children. You know what this is like. Will this be the day that he'll come home? Will she come home? Will she live another day? Will she come? And the Bible says that when the boy starts coming home, the father takes off in an all-out sprint and runs to his boy. At which point some of you, old school parenting, some of you are like me, and you're thinking, I know why he's running. <laughs> I know why he's running. When I get to that boy, I'm going to wear his butt out. Come on. I mean, it was, if, if, if nothing else, it was a I told you so moment. Come on. Was it not? And he gets to his son. Gives him this big bear hug. Says, my boy, my boy, welcome home. Hey, man, probably, probably at this point in time, he comes back from the bear hug, probably makes his son look into his eyes. He goes, hey, man, you, you remember that signet ring you've been looking at all these years? Put it on your finger. Re remember, remember that that robe that you like, the one that kind of hangs in the closet in the foyer, put that on too. Hey, boy, here's some gold-laced sandals. Throw them on your feet. Remember that calf? Yeah, that one, that one you've been fattening up for the last few years? Got that bad boy on the grill already out back. Son, I've called your favorite DJ. Welcome home, man. Let's party. Who loves like this? Reckless, scandalous, inconceivable love. And Jesus steps back after speaking it to them. And don't you know, 
This was the message of it all. I love like the shepherd. I love like the woman. I love like the father. I love like this because this is who I am. You see, church, the question that Luke 15 thrust our way, the formidable question that's in Luke 15. Follow me here. I would say the formidable and foundational question that flows throughout the entire New Testament is this question. You ready for it? Who belongs in the house of God? Who belongs in the home in God's family? Every part of Luke 15 asks us that central question. Who belongs in this home? To which I'd like to just give you a moment to think about that. <coughs> Excuse me. Who belongs in the church? Is it just those who have cleaned up their act enough to come in among us? Is it just the prodigals? Excuse me. <coughs> that water went down a little wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. Is it, is it just the prodigals? Who, after they've had their conversion experience and cleaned up their act, then they're worthy to step in among us? Is it the hell with the prodigals? It's just the older brother types, just the older sisters, just those who are religious enough. Again, the foundational, formidable question, not just of Luke 15, but I believe of the entire New Testament. Second, maybe only to who is this Jesus? Is who belongs home in God's family? This long parable, again, made up of three parts, basically has a four-part progression to all three parts of the parable. Four-part progression. Are you ready? You might want to write this down in your margins of your Bible or in your notes. I really would encourage you to. Something is lost. There is an all-out search. Something is found, and it's time for a celebration. Again, something is lost. Something is searched for. Something is found. Remember the video we just did on Thanksgiving weekend, the documentary that our productions team did. It was awesome. Found is now available, by the way. They let me know. Found. And then once it's found, there is an all-out celebration. So everybody say it with me. Lost. Search. Found. Celebration. One more time. I want to hear you in the balcony, folks. Let's go. Ready? Lost. Search. Found celebration. In this chapter, that is often referred to as the gospel within the gospel, this fourfold progression lets us clearly know 
Who belongs home in the family of God? You know who belongs home? I just heard a sister say it. Everyone. Or everybody. Or everybody. Everybody. Everybody belongs in God's house. So I put this dining room table up here just to paint a, a picture for you so that you don't forget it. A divine palette, if you will. A, a divine portrait, a prophetic portrait, if you will, is this dining room table up here. And the reminder from Luke chapter 15 is that there are multiple seats at this table. And these seats should represent big groups of people. At every single healthy church table, let's just call a spade a spade. First of all, God's at the head of the table. Hello. God is at the head of the table. And the Bible is clear. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. Jesus is the head of the church. Then there's another chair where here might be some of you older types. You, you, you have the older syndrome. You're, you're good people. You, you work hard. You stay at home. You, you color in the lines. You're, you're good, good people. There's another, there's another chair for, for those who might like to wonder and color outside of the lines, as it were. The prodigals who, who might be going astray. They, they belong in the family of God. Even when they're falling short of the glory of God. Can I hear an amen? Then there's, then there's let's just kind of broaden it a little bit. Then there's, there's brown people and there's black people and there's white people and there's orange people and there's yellow people and however the children's rhyme went they are all what precious in sight everybody belongs in the family in the home of God there are too many churches out there who basically tell people, here's what you need to do before you dare step foot into this church. You better clean up your act. You better look like us. You better act like us. You better smell like us. You better behave like us. You better drive like us. And whatever you do, don't you park in my parking space and don't you sit in my seat. And Jesus told them this parable. In my home, in my house, everybody is welcome. Notice I didn't say, don't mishear me, I didn't say everything is okay. What I'm saying is, we swing wide the doors. We welcome any and everyone among us. And we leave the work up to God to clean them up and change their life. We don't change anybody's life. So when the, when the older brother comes back, this is what... The Bible says, and you read the last one so well with me, Re read it with me, Luke 15, 1, 21 and 24. Here it is, ready? Read it with me, go. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was and is. So they began to. Hey, hey, I'm going to take another sip of my water, but this time I'm going to try to. Try to let it go down the right pipe, if, if you will. Hey, what if, um, what if you stopped looking at what you do on Sunday as going to church? We're going to church. Going to church. What are you doing this Sunday? Going to church. Maybe. I, I, don't, I don't think what you're doing is you're coming to church. Hello, you are the church. You, the church is not a building. You are the, you know what you're coming to? You know what you're coming to when you come to a Sunday at New Hope? You're coming to the partay. You are coming to a part. We've always, for 14 years now, we don't call it worship services. That sounds exciting. We call them worship celebrations. These are parties. And what we are partying, what we are celebrating, i.e. first is God, second it's one another, and third it is lost things being found. That's what we celebrate on Sunday. That's what we celebrate on Sunday. We celebrate God and we celebrate the fact that we are a family of old and young and rich and poor and black and white and yellow and brown and educated and uneducated. We celebrate humanity. And it's a party. It's a celebration. <laughs> and so the last two verses of, of the parable, the last two verses of the long parable, the three-part parable is this. Let's read it out loud. 31 and 32, go. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was and is. Amen. Exactly. This is who we are, church. We are a church that throws reckless, radical, Sometimes inconceivable. And there I might encourage us scandalous parties for lost people being found. Come on. Most of us, well, all of us, <laughs> I was about to say most of us, all of us just lived through a very interesting political season. I mean, some of you are you're just you're just excited. Like you, you're excited. Others of you are, like, really worried. And why don't we try this? I haven't ever said this. Before we start judging one another, why don't we first just try to understand one another? Okay? So regardless of whether you're excited or you're concerned, is there any doubt? Come on. Is there any doubt 
that we are watching before our very eyes a country and a world unraveling before us. I mean, come on. The political system and the country and the world. I'm not a doomsdayer. I'm not one of those guys. I don't find a demon under every rock. Okay, I'm not one of those. I've always said I'd rather light a candle than curse the darkness any day of the week. But still, is it not true that we are seeing the country as we know it and the world as we know it is literally unraveling before us? Okay? Here's my question to you. Before you go getting all depressed and down about that, which I know it's easy to get there, could it be? Could it be that God has positioned you and he has positioned me for such a time as this, as the world is unraveling around us and racial tensions have not gotten any better, they tend to get worse. Could it be that God has positioned New Hope Church right here, right now, right up in the 21st century to show to the world what it looks like to be God's people in God's house Beautifully and fully representing God's created and diverse creation. This is our moment. This is, this is why you were born now. He could have had you born at any point in time. You ever thought about that? You could have been born before there were automobiles. God, help us. You could have been born before Al Gore invented the internet. <laughs> Just so we're clear, Al Gore didn't invent the internet. Some of you will go out and tweet me, quote me on Twitter. Pastor said Al Gore created the internet. <laughs> For such a time as this. God has positioned you and he has positioned me in the 21st century in the southeast part of the United States of America to lead a global moment that says to the world, this is what it looks like to be the people of God. This is what it looks like to love recklessly. This is what it looks like to, to spend enormous amounts of resources to find one. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be a part of. I don't want to live my one and only life worrying about 401ks or retirement or whether I'm going to live to be 90 or 80. I want to take every single day God gives me and allow him to use us, again, to, to display a divine palette of a multi-ethnic beautifully diverse church where every single person not only belongs but they have a seat at the table I want to end and tell you a story and I'm done can I sit like this I'm from South Carolina man this is how we roll when we got something serious to talk about this is how we roll I want to tell you a story it's a true story. I like to always let you know if it's a true story, if it's a preacher story, right? It's a true story. It's not fictional. And those of you who've been with me a long time, you, you've probably heard me tell this story. Um, and, and if you're hearing it for the first time, I just want to go ahead and warn you, you'll hear me tell this story again. 
I'll tell this story to the day I die. This is my all-time favorite story. Because I didn't say this in the beginning, and I should have. By the way, Luke 15, Luke 15 was the chapter that God used to save my soul in a jail cell at the age of 18. Luke 15 is my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. Sometimes some of you will ask me, what's your favorite verse of Scripture? What's your favorite passage? And I'll tell you. And sometimes you like, like somebody gave me a picture and had, had that passage where he was lost and now he is found. It's time to celebrate. Like Luke 15 is my favorite passage for two reasons. Number one is God used it to save my soul, like I said, 28 years ago now. And secondly, no other passage has ever shaped me instructed me, sharpened me as a leader for how I want to serve the church more so than Luke 15. I mean, this, this is the passage. And there's no other story, this story I'm about to tell you, there's no other story in my mind that actually puts on display the gospel and Luke 15, like the story I'm about to tell you. The man's name is Tony Campolo. Maybe you've heard of his name. Tony Campolo is a sociologist. He's a Christian sociologist. He's a very popular speaker, high demand, writes lots of different books. Um, and he tells this story that he was speaking uh, in Honolulu, Hawaii. Somebody's got to do it. You know what I'm saying? And so he's a, he flies to Honolulu, Hawaii, and because there's a six-hour difference, Tony Campolo finds himself with a bad case of jet lag at 3 o'clock in the morning, cannot sleep. And so as he tells the story, he's wandering the downtown streets of Honolulu, Hawaii at 3 o'clock in the morning. When he stumbles upon this cafe slash diner that happened to be open, he walked into the diner and sat down at the counter and about that time, the door swung open from the kitchen area and out walks, in the words of Tony Campolo, not my words, this fat dude with chubby cheeks. And this fat dude with chubby cheeks said, what can I get you? Tony said, I'll, I'll take a cup of coffee and a donut. And so the guy gets him a cup of coffee and a donut, and Tony's sitting there minding his own business. By this point in time, it's about 3.30 in the morning. He's sipping on his coffee he's nibbling on his donut and about that time the door flung open and eight to ten rather boisterous and sketchily dressed prostitutes enter the diner they come to the counter and they're sitting on each side of tony and he didn't know what to do so he just kind of minded his own business he, he's sipping his coffee and he's nibbling on his donut and they're they're just doing their thing they're loud they're boisterous and and, and they place their orders and that sort of thing and finally tony says a woman over here on his right hand side she said to the girl sitting beside her she goes hey tomorrow's my birthday and tony said the girl that he said that to looks at her and says what do you want me to do about it throw you a party and the lady said, no, I, why you got to be so mean? I just was telling you tomorrow is my birthday. Tony sat there minding his own business, and after about 30 minutes, the ladies left, and he, he called the chubby guy back out. His name was Harry. He said, hey, Harry, do, do those ladies come in here often? Harry said, oh, yeah, they come every single night like clockwork around 3.30 a.m. Tony said, hey, I got this idea. I don't know if you're going to let me do this, but I got this idea. One of the ladies, she said her birthday is tomorrow. What do you say? What do you say we throw her a birthday party tomorrow night? And the chubby guy, his name is Harry, by the way. Harry lit up, and Tony said those chubby cheeks kind of turned into a smile. And he said, that's a great idea. He said her name is Agnes. 
She's one of the nicest ones in the group. That's a great idea. Tony said, awesome. Consider it done. I'll be back here tomorrow night, 2.30. I'll bring the crepe paper. I'll bring the cake. We'll decorate this place. It'll be awesome. Harry said, now, you do the crepe paper. You do anything else you want to do. But listen, buddy, the cake is mine. I'm baking the cake. The next morning at 2.30 in the morning, Tony Campolo shows up, puts crepe paper all over the place. They hang a big sign down that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. Harry has the cake prepared. Tony said by 2.45, word must have got out because it was wall-to-wall prostitutes. Here's a Christian sociologist. He said he he didn't know what to do. It was a little awkward for him, but it was wall-to-wall. And about 3.30 a.m., like clockwork, here comes Agnes and her friends. When they walked into the diner, Tony had timed it just right so that when they walked in, they yelled, Happy Birthday! And they all started to sing, Agnes, Happy Birthday. About that time, chubby old Harry came around the counter and he had this unbelievable birthday cake glowing with candles he puts it in front of Agnes and Tony records in his writings that he watched this prostitute named Agnes start bawling he said her knees started to buckle underneath her and she had to take a seat she couldn't even hardly speak and finally she was able to utter the words no one's ever thrown me a birthday party Agnes, I mean, uh, Harry, who's not a very emotional kind of guy, kind of tried to move on and said, Agnes, let's cut the cake. And Agnes said, wait, 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 Harry, wait, wait, wait. Is there any way, Harry, any, any way we can not cut the cake? Can, can, I, can I keep the cake? I, I live just a few doors down. Is it okay? Can I take the cake a few doors down? I'll be right back. Harry goes, well, well, Agnes, you're, you're kind of supposed to eat a birthday cake. But it's your party, Agnes. If that's what you want to do, go ahead. You can take the cake. Agnes gets up with tears still rolling down her face, and she walks toward the door, and she goes out of the door, and the door shuts. Capolo says this, this hush, this sacred silence fell over the room and people didn't really know what to say Tony finally felt like he he was going to take a flyer he was going to risk and so he said hey can I pray and in that moment Tony Campolo led a diner full of prostitutes and a chubby guy named Harry in prayer and it wasn't long and it wasn't uber spiritual but he just prayed God thank you for Agnes God thank you for all these other women who were created by you God thank you for this diner thank you for this night thank you for loving us in the name of Jesus Amen He lifted his head and there was still a sacred silence in the room, very, very quiet. And again, Harry, who didn't do well with these kind of moments, Harry goes, hey, 
You didn't tell me you were a preacher. What church do you work at? Tony Campolo said in one of those Holy Spirit-infused moments where God gave him just the right words, Tony Campolo said, I work for the church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry, after a short pause, said there's no such thing. Because if I ever found a church like that, I'd go to that church. That's our church. That's who we are. And if we're not, may we strive to be that kind of church. Where all kinds of people are welcome at this table in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And all of our campuses, we're going to sing a song that we've saved for this very moment. And all of you can stay seated for this. The title of the song is called Help from Heaven. Is that not what God has done in the message of Christmas? And as we've looked at this biblical vision for the church, may we sit in this moment and beg God to give us the courage, the wisdom, the dogged determination to remain that kind of church. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. Thank you for Luke 15, this gospel within the gospel. Father, I pray that in this moment that the message would not end, but I pray that we would sit here and marinate in your word, that as our team sings this song over us, Father, it would be your way of descending yet even more into our soul and giving us the wisdom, the power, the courage to be this kind of people, to love like a shepherd who will go after one, a woman who will turn her place upside down to find one coin, and a father who will throw a reckless, radical, benevolent, and even scandalous party for his boy when he comes home. Give us help from heaven, we pray. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast. And thanks for being a part of our church family.